Welcome to Russian History Retold, Episode 144, The Crimean War, The Leaders. While doing some maintenance on the podcast in June of 2022, I noted that this episode was missing. Not only that, I couldn't find the script I wrote about six years ago. So today, I'm going to talk about the men who led the Crimean War effort on both sides of the conflict. On the Russian side, we have Tsar Nicholas I, who started the conflict and died before its conclusion in 1855. He was followed by his son, Alexander II. The latter understood the calamity that was occurring and helped bring an end to the war in 1856. The military leaders were Prince Alexander Sergeyevich Menshikov, Prince Mikhail Dmitrievich Gorkachev, and Admiral Pavel Stepanovich Nakhmimov. The Allied forces include Ottoman representatives Abdulmajid I and Omar Pasha. The French were led by Emperor Napoleon III and Armand Jacques Leroy Saint Arnaud. The main forces of the British Empire were led by Earl of Aberdeen George Hamilton Gordon, Viscount Palmerston John Temple III, and Lord Raglan, Field Marshal Fitzroy James Henry Somerset. Italy was represented by Alfonso Ferreira La Marmora and the Caucasus Imamate leader Imam Shamil. These 14 men were responsible for the deaths of approximately 675,000 soldiers, most from disease and not from combat. The conditions the fighters had to endure were, frankly, appalling. Their leaders were the ones who must bear the blame for what happened in Crimea. The head of the Ottoman Empire in 1853, when the Crimean War broke out, was Abdul-Majid I, the 31st Sultan. He would take possession of his position when he was a mere 16 years old. Abdul-Majid was responsible for the Ottoman Empire's admission to the European family of nations after the Treaty of Paris was signed, ending the conflict. He would also be responsible for what was known as the Tanzimat, a program of modernization desperately needed. Abdul-Majid would also try to stem the tide of nationalist movements within the Ottoman Empire, something he and his successors would prove unable to achieve. In the Crimean War, the military man behind the Ottoman army was Omar Pasha, also known as Omar Pasha Latis. He was a brilliant tactician and was responsible for the victories at the first engagement of the war, the Battle of Antutisha, as well as the Battle of Eupatoria. Pasha's forces were also involved in the siege of Sevastopol, ultimately leading to the Russians' defeat. On the French side, a nephew of Napoleon Bonaparte, Napoleon III, was Emperor of France during the Crimean War. He would ally with Great Britain, which was unusual for the time. It would improve the standing of the French during the mid-19th century until the disastrous loss in the Franco-Prussian War. Napoleon would gain the lands of Nice and Savoy and also would support Italian unification. His reign would also create the second most powerful navy in the world. It would greatly help in defeating the Russians. The French minister of war was Armand Jacques Leroy de Saint-Arnaud. His legacy is a very mixed one. 
While a brilliant military man, Saint Arnaud was also considered a heinous war criminal by some following his actions in the conquest of Algeria. In one incident, Saint Arnaud ordered a cave sealed with 500 Arab men inside, suffocating them to death. He was also involved in the complete destruction of over 200 Algerian villages, burning them to the ground. Saint Arnaud would not survive to the end of the Crimean War, dying of stomach cancer a week after leading his troops at the Battle of the Alma on September 20th, 1854. There were three foremost leaders from the British Empire involved in the war effort. Lord Raglan, Field Marshal Fitzroy James Henry Somerset, and they all had a very mixed record in the Crimean War. While he was successful at the battles of Alma and Inkerman, Raglan was also partly to blame for the disastrous charge of the Light Brigade during the Battle of Balaclava. Lord Raglan would also not see the end of the war, as he died of a combination of dysentery and depression on June 28, 1855. He took the majority of the blame for the horrible conditions that the army had to endure despite the lack of supplies coming from the home country. Raglan fell into a depressed state because of the failures during the siege of Sevastopol. Henry John Temple, 3rd Viscount Palmerston, was the Prime Minister of Great Britain during the Crimean War. His predecessor, George Hamilton Gordon, 4th Earl of Aberdeen, was blamed for the lack of supply sent to the British Army during the conflict. This would lead Temple to being voted in to try to fix the issue, which he indeed did. However, his time was not always favorable, as he would send troops into China during the Opium Wars, which, in hindsight, created a terrible outcome for the Chinese people. George Hamilton Gordon, 4th Earl of Aberdeen, would be the British politician that brought them into the Crimean War. However, because of the early mismanagement of the war, mainly due to the lack of supplies we mentioned, Hamilton Gordon would only serve as British Prime Minister from 1852 until 1855. While a very skillful diplomat, he was not the right person to lead the British Empire at the time. Alfonso Ferreira la Marmora would lead the Sardinian-Italian contingent in the Crimean War. He is mainly known for his actions in several revolts within Italy, especially the uprisings in Milan and Genoa. La Marmora would lead the smallest contingent in the conflict, numbering about 21,000 men. His casualty rate, though, was the smallest, at about 10%. The Ottomans were next at about 19.3% of their men lost. Great Britain lost 37.5%. France, 43.8%. But Russia topped them all with a casualty rate of 50.6%. The last non-Russian leader is Imam Shamil. While he and his men did not have a direct role in the Crimean War, he was able to tie down a large contingent of Russian troops in the Caucasus. It was Shamil's hope that the British, French, and Ottoman Empire would help in his decade-long rebellion against Russian occupation of forces in his territory. Unfortunately, after the war, the Russians decided that they would redouble their efforts, which led to the failure of the freedom movement. His capture in September 1859 would lead to Shamil's exile, first in Kaluga, and Kiev before he made his pilgrimage to Mecca, dying in Medina in 1871. 
Now to head on over to the Russian side. The obvious first person to talk about is Tsar Nicholas I. Before the Crimean War, Russia was viewed as an equal militarily with the most powerful nations of Europe. This was in part due to the defeat of Napoleon Bonaparte and the victories in the Russo-Persian War of 1826-28 and the Russo-Turkish War of 1828-1829. Nevertheless, believing they were still a significant power, Nicholas decided to get into another war with the Ottomans over the control of the Dardanelles, the Bosphorus, and Constantinople. By pushing the Ottomans to the edge by making outlandish demands, they declared war on Russia on October 8, 1853. Nicholas had thought that they would support his efforts because of his friendship with the British. On November 30, 1853, Russian Admiral Nakamov destroyed the Turkish fleet in the Sinope harbor. This frightened the British, French, and Sardinians as they were concerned with the growing Russian empire. Nicholas's serious miscalculation of British support and uncontrolled expansion was a major failing. Another fault of his was micromanagement. Instead of letting his generals and other military men run the war effort, Nicholas would try to become involved in every aspect of the conflict. Because of this, his officer corps' hands were tied, leading to many losses in the war. Unfortunately, Nicholas understood that way too late, which some believe was the cause of his death on March 2, 1855. While he died of pneumonia, his refusal for treatment did him in. Alexander Sergeyevich Menshikov was the commander-in-chief of the Russian forces from the beginning of the war until his dismissal on February 15, 1855, due to gross incompetence. One of Menshikov's worst influences on the military was his advice concerning upgrading the Russian Navy. It was one of the reasons for the Russian loss in the war. Menshikov was replaced by Prince Mikhail Dmitrievich Gorkachev, who was far more competent as a military leader. His role in the defense of Sevastopol and the retreat of the Russian forces at the end of the war has been praised both as heroic and skillful. It would help the Russian position at the meetings to craft the Treaty of Paris in 1856. Gorkachev would be named Namastink of the Kingdom of Poland, a role similar to that of King. He would remain there until his death on May 30, 1861. Per Gorkachev's wishes, wishes, he was buried in Sevastopol. Our last leader is Pavel Stepanovich Nakamov, a Russian admiral who led the forces at the siege of Sevastopol. He was the naval commander who annihilated the Ottoman fleet at Sinope on November 30, 1853. Catching the Ottomans in the harbor, supposedly protected by onshore artillery, Nakamov decided to go all in against his enemies. Using 700 cannons in the six ships of the line, two frigates and three armed steamers, the Russian naval forces completely destroyed the Ottoman navy and their onshore fortifications. Unfortunately, this last effort caused the death of 3,000 Turks when the city of Sinope was shelled. In St. Petersburg, the people celebrated the victory, while in Constantinople, panic ensued. The Russians didn't realize that the way the battle turned out enraged the British, 
and French, so much so that they became allied with their traditional enemy, the Ottoman Empire. This was partly due to the violation of an understanding that Russia would not attack deep into Ottoman territory. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Join me next time when we discuss the Battle of Alma, which was a decisive Allied win, but it gave them a sense of overconfidence that would soon lead to dread. So until next time, das vidanya y spasiba bolshoya.